Good morning and welcome to Northwoods. My name's Hope and I am so glad that you are here with us today. Now, if it's your first time, I just wanna say hi and give you a special welcome and shout out again on behalf of everyone at Northwoods. We're so glad you're here. And I personally would love to get to know you and would love to meet you. So go ahead and take out your phone right now and text new to the number on your screen. That's gonna send me a message and we can connect together later in the week. Now for everyone else, if you wanna get out the Northwoods mobile app and fill out the connection card, now is a great time to do that. And while you're in there, you can check out any of our past messages. And you know, we're actually in the last week of our series, When to Stop Praying. And we've been kind of in a long haul in focusing on prayer, right? We, we started out in January with our series, House of Prayer. Then we moved into this series about when to stop praying. And I hope that all of those messages have just been empowering for you and have equipped you to grow deeper in your prayer life. So if you've missed any of those, again, check them out in the app. You can go on our YouTube channel or to our media archive and watch any of those past messages. Now, looking ahead to next week, we are starting another new series called Tithing Explained. And you may wonder sometimes, what does the Bible actually say about tithing or about our giving, especially when we're talking about giving to the church? And so over a couple of Sundays, that's exactly what we are going to dive into and explore. So be sure to be back here next Sunday as we kick that off. Now, as always, I wanna invite you to join the chat right now. Go ahead and say hi, introduce yourself, let us know where you're watching from and maybe even who you're watching with. Again, it's a great place for you to just connect, meet other people and have community here this Sunday morning. And of course, also, if we can be praying for you, whether there's something you wanna celebrate in your life or maybe you're going through something really hard, our prayer team is standing by the entire service. All you have to do is make sure that you are watching at northwoods.online and click on that request prayer button. Now, just one more thing I wanna tell you about before we jump in to worship this morning is the You Asked For It series. And you're probably like, oh my goodness, how do I keep all of these message series straight? And that's okay. This one is very, very, very important because it actually doesn't start until after Easter, but you get to pick what we're going to talk about. So get your phone out again, and hopefully you haven't put it away yet. Text the number on your screen, and here's the deal. Text us and let us know what do you want to learn about. This entire message series is gonna be built around questions and topic ideas that you submit. So be sure to do that today, get that in before the submissions close here in a couple of weeks. So again, we're so glad that you're here. I hope that you have a great rest of your morning. Let's worship together. Hey, good morning, church. Let us stand to our feet. Let's worship the King of Kings today, come on. Echoing in the spirit If you listen closely, you'll hear it Oh, what a sound as broken shackles hit the floor There's a symphony in the making There is freedom here for the taking Oh, what a sound as broken people are restored Of your people sing Come on, sing it out Here in your house Let your praise be loud 
praise Him with all that we've got, knowing He's at work. This is what living looks like. This is what freedom feels like. This is what heaven sounds like. We praise You. We praise You. This is what living looks like. This is what freedom feels like. This is what heaven sounds like. We praise You. We praise You. This is what living looks like. This is what freedom feels like. This is what heaven sounds like. We praise You. We praise You. This is what living looks like. This is what freedom feels like. This is what heaven sounds like. We praise Caught sin in shame They were like prisons that we couldn't escape But He came and He died and He rose Those walls are up and down yeah. Remember those giants we called death and grave they were like mountains that stood in our way, but He came, and He died, and He rose. Those giants are dead now. Amen. This is our God. This is who He is. He loves us. This is our God. This is what He does. He saves us. He bore the cross. The grave, let heaven and earth proclaim this is our God, King Jesus. Hey! Remember that fear that took our breath away. Faith so weak that we could barely pray, but He worked every word. Every whisper And now those altars in the wilderness Tell the story of His faithfulness Never once did He fail And He never will No, this is our God This is who He is He loves us this is our 
We are just so grateful for who you are, for what you've done, and for your presence in our lives. Continue, Lord, to move in our hearts today. We love you. Here in the 
invite you into this place. Continue to move mightily today. Infiltrate our hearts, our families, our homes, this church today. And yes, infiltrate the hearts and minds of our schools. Holy Spirit, we ask. We ask a mighty move in our country. We ask a mighty move in our community now in Jesus' powerful and mighty name. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen, church. Hey, before you're seated, why don't you greet somebody around you? Good morning. Everybody doing good? Hey, my name's Kurt, and I am so glad to see you guys wherever you are joining us from. 
I am happy that you are here. If you happen to be new to Northwoods, I would invite you to take out your phone and text the word new to the number you're going to see on your screen or stop by our new here kiosk out in the lobby. We would love to meet you today. Now, I also want to invite everybody to take out your phone right now. I know that's not something you hear in church very often, but take your phone out of your pocket, out of your purse, wherever it's at. Open up the Northwoods app and fill out the connection card. And while you've got the connection card open, I want to invite you to think about an amazing opportunity that I'd like to highlight right now, and that is serving in next-gen ministries, volunteering for our next-gen ministry. Now, next-gen ministry here at Northwoods encompasses all youth from tiny babies, everybody say, aw, aw, right, to teenagers, everybody say, oh, yeah, (laughs) and we would love to give you an opportunity to pour into their lives. Now, I can stand here and I can tell you about all the amazing impact that you're going to have on the lives of youth and on the lives of babies when you're serving in that, but I want to challenge you in a different way. I want to challenge you that when you step out and you serve, that God's actually going to begin working on your heart. And he's going to reveal to things about the gifts that he's given you. And he's going to maybe teach you some new things about himself. And you might even get some new friends along the way. Now, all of that on top of the incredible impact that you're going to have in the life of the youth at this church. So if that stirs up something in your heart, I want to encourage you that while you're filling out your connection card, click the connect part where you want to learn more about serving in next-gen ministries. Or go to the opportunity finder and just find out where you might serve. So listen, if you've been around joining us for the last few weeks, you've heard Pastor John share about a brand new series that we have coming up after Easter called You Asked For It, all right? You Asked For It. Now, here's the deal. We need your help to prepare for this message, which means that you as a church, you get to help decide the topics and what's going to be taught on. So this is pretty cool. So send in your ideas, your topic ideas, send any questions that you have to the number that you're going to see on the screen. And look for that series starting right after Easter. All right, real quick update. Um, Reminder, we actually are preparing for the 2023 Holy Land Tour coming in October. In fact, there's going to be an informational meeting today, this morning, immediately following this service, downstairs in room G. Now, if you've already decided that you want to go, or if you've got some questions and you want to just explore the details, I invite you to head downstairs after this service, go down to room G, and get all of those questions answered. All right. Now, guys, you can get all of this information that I'm talking about this morning, as well as a whole lot more, on the Northwoods app. And while you're in the Northwoods app, it is probably one of the easiest ways for you to be able to give this morning. You can also text to give to the number that you'll see on the screens. You can also give in the boxes in the back of our auditorium. However you choose to give, please know that it is your faithful and generous giving that fuels all of the ministry opportunities we have here at Northwoods. 
and we are so grateful for your giving. But maybe you're a person that's like, you know what, I got some questions about this whole giving and tithing thing. Maybe you're wondering, does God really require us to give? Or even how much should I be giving? And if that's you, those are totally normal questions, okay? And we're actually going to begin addressing those questions next week in a brand new series called Tithing Explained. So get more information about it on the Northwoods app. That's all I've got for you today. Right now, let's prepare our hearts and our minds as Pastor Nathan prepares to bring today's message. Stop praying. A phrase we rarely, if ever, hear. Now, I don't mean to be cavalier. We should be people on our knees. But what happens when God says, stop, please? There's a time for prayer, but also for action. In fact, this is where life gains traction, when we stop using prayer as a cop-out and start acting in faith and step out. God told Moses, stop crying and move ahead. We all know what happened next at the sea they call red. To Joshua, he said, stop lying on your face. Get up and deal with the sin in this place. There's nothing wrong with bowing your head, but first, make sure you're doing what God already said. You see, there's no time for games or for playing when God says, stop praying. All right. Well, top of the morning to you, Northwoods. How is everybody? Good? All right. Glad you're awake. Glad you're here. Welcome, those of you that are joining us online or in Canton. Now, look, first, I want to just get this out of the way. I know many of you are thinking of it. There's no baby yet. <laughs> okay? My brother, right, his wife, Michaela, she's been pregnant with their fourth child, and uh, she's six days overdue right now. So, Lord, bring the baby quickly in Jesus' name, all right? So he's here uh, today, and we're just hoping maybe the baby will come sometime today during church. We don't know, but uh, we hope that baby comes soon. We're excited for him. Now, um, we're coming to the end of our series on Stop Praying. Last week, John helped us understand that sometimes we need to stop praying when we're substituting prayer for action. And today, we're going to look at what we do when we're substituting prayer for repentance. Now, I know a thing or two about substitutes, okay? My mom, bless her heart, I love my mom. Mom, if you're watching this, I love you, okay? But uh, growing up, she loved to substitute things in our food. Some of the things she made, she wanted to make them a little healthier, you know, so she'd bring sugar substitutes in, or she would uh, substitute sour cream with Greek yogurt, <laughs> or she'd take out the white flour and put in whole wheat flour. Now look, again, I am thankful for my mom, but as a kid, I was like, I don't want the substitutes. I want the real thing. I want all the sugar, I want all the butter, I want all the processed stuff that makes it taste good. <laughs> I was not messing around, I didn't want a substitute, I wanted the real deal. And my point in sharing that is that there are some ingredients you just can't substitute, right? Some of you in here who are legends at baking or cooking, you know if I swap out that one ingredient, it just ain't gonna work. <laughs> There's some things you just cannot 
substitute. And in the same way that's true with food, it's true in the kingdom of God. You simply cannot substitute anything else for repentance. Prayer's not gonna make up for it. Serving at church doesn't replace it. Bible study is not an alternative. Giving doesn't trade places with it. You gotta have the real deal. The Lord requires the real ingredient of repentance. And he can taste when it's not there. <laughs> now, some of you are probably real familiar with the word repentance. And others of you listening here today, you may wonder, what is even meant by that word? What's meant by the word repentance? So I wanna make sure we're just on the same page. The biblical idea of repentance is not merely to feel regret or remorse over something you've done. It includes that, but that's like as far as the English definition goes. When it comes to the scriptures, biblical repentance, again, it includes remorse, but it actually has to do with turning away from sin and turning towards God. It's a spiritual course correction, if you will, and it's manifest in our actual day-to-day -day lives. So when we truly repent, it's going to have observable effects in our living. We turn away from disobedience, we turn away from a rebellion, compromise, and we turn towards God in obedience, loyalty, and faithfulness to him. That's repentance. And repentance is not just what starts the Christian life. It's actually God's gift to you and I as we live the Christian life. It's a gift. I want us to hear that. When we talk about repentance, we think of it as this huge, heavy subject, and it is, it's a serious subject. But at the same time, it is God's gift to us, his call to repentance to you and I, it's a call back into life. It's, it's his method of healing and restoring us. So it's a gift to let God continually reform the way that you and I live. So when we substitute prayer for repentance, we are missing out on a great gift that God has given to us to grow closer to Jesus and to look more like Jesus. This is a good thing. And the church, we, his people, we need it. But the question becomes, okay, if it's important, if we need it, how do we do it? How do we make use? of that gift. How do we repent? Well, as we do every Sunday, we're gonna look at God's word for that answer. We're gonna to go to be in Joshua 7 today. So go ahead and get your Bibles out. If you got a hard copy, you got your phone. And it will be up on the screens, but look, this is more fun, okay, right here. This is more fun, I promise you. Having it in your hands. So Joshua 7. <clears throat> And then keep your finger there in that chapter because before we read our passage, I wanna just jog your memory about where we're at in the biblical story. So the people of Israel, they've wandered in the desert for 40 years. And now Moses is dead and the new generation is ready to take the promised land under their leader, Joshua. And at the time they're moving into the land, scholars 
tell us it's not occupied by some giant superpower like Egypt. It's actually organized in the form of like city-states so that each major city and its surrounding villages have their own king. They're each kind of politically independent. And so they have to conquer the promised land city by city. And they've just seen God do an amazing miracle at Jericho where the walls came down and they had victory. So now as we get to chapter 7, they're moving on to the next city, the city of Ai. And you can imagine, I want you to just kind of put yourself in their shoes. They're feeling pretty good about themselves. They're, they're, they're on top of the world. They just saw God come through. This was a miraculous victory. So I'm sure they're kind of, you know, their chests are puffed out. They're like, we, okay, we got this. God is with us. We're going into the promised land. Come on. And they come to I. They spy it out, and the men come back to Joshua, and they're like, hey, we don't even need the whole army for this one. <laughs> just send a group of two or 3,000, they'll just take care of it. So we'll pick it up in verse 4. Verse 4, it says, about 3,000 went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted in fear and became like water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there till evening. And the elders of Israel did the same, and they sprinkled dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan just to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we'd been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Pardon your servant, Lord. What can I say now that Israel's been routed by its enemies? The Canaanites, the other people of the country will hear about this. They'll surround us. They'll wipe out your name from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name? And then the Lord responds. Look what the Lord says. The Lord says to Joshua, stand up. <laughs> what are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They've taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen, they have lied, and they've put them with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they've been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. So, did y'all catch it? Why did God tell Joshua to stop praying? Why did he tell him, stand up on your feet? Because there was sin in the camp that needed to be dealt with. In the earlier chapters of Joshua, the people had been explicitly ordered by God to not touch the devoted things. That when they came to certain cities, there were certain things they were to destroy and not take for themselves. And there's a man in the camp, Achan, who had stolen some of what they were supposed to destroy. He stole it in secret and he kept it for himself. And God essentially comes to Joshua and says, stop crying out to me about what happened. I want you to go deal with the sin. 
I want a change of your ways, i.e., repentance. I want you to turn from the sinful thing you've done. And so that passage, that story today underlines the truth we're talking about. You cannot substitute prayer for repentance. And the fact is there are many believers who know we know what God wants us to do or we know what he's asked of us. We know what he really requires and yet we hide the issue, we minimize the issue, and we just kind of keep going on through our religious duties, like prayer, without addressing the real issue. It's the same dynamic that happens later in the biblical story to the people in the day of the prophet Amos. And I wanna read that to you real quick in the NLT. This is the New Living Translation. And the Lord says through Amos to the people, he says, I hate all your show and pretense. The hypocrisy of your religious festivals and solemn assemblies. I will not accept your burnt offerings and grain offerings. I won't even notice all your choice peace offerings. Away with your noisy hymns of praise. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Instead, I want to see a mighty flood of justice, an endless river of righteous living. God speaks to his people and he's like, y'all, stop with the worship services. Stop with the prayer meetings. There's things in your life I need you to repent of. And it's really easy for you and me both to just go through the religious motions, just attend church, go to that class, serve in ministry, do my devotional every day and say my prayers while at the same time ignoring the very thing in my life God wants me to deal with. And so the Lord says, just stop going through the religious motions of church and actually change your ways. Turn, turn from your sin, repent from your sin and reform your way of life. But I told you earlier that our passage from Joshua 7 shows us how to repent. Now this chapter, it doesn't use the word repentance, but I believe many of the crucial elements required for proper repentance are actually found here. And uh, I was gonna try my best to make an acrostic out of it, but I'm not my dad. <laughs> so you're gonna have to deal with no acrostic today, all right? So in Joshua 7, these are four required elements for repentance. Four required elements for repentance. Element number one is godly sorrow. If we look at Joshua and his leaders in verse six, we find them tearing their clothes, ruining perfectly good shirts. <laughs> they're falling face down in the presence of God and they're sprinkling dust on their heads. Now I know that all sounds very weird to us, but in their day, this is how they expressed sorrow and how they expressed distress. These were typical signs of grieving, of lament. And you, you'll see it all through the scriptures. Some of you who are going through our, um, our Bible reading plan for this year, you'll see it multiple times as you just go through the scriptures where people tear their clothes, they have dust on their heads. It's a traditional sign of mourning. 
Now, in this context, Joshua and his leaders, they're not weeping for sin. Because remember, they had no idea that Achan had even sinned. But 36 men, many of them who probably were fathers of families, 36 of their men have just died. And they were told back in Joshua chapter 1, before they entered the land, God said, I'm going to give you every place you set your feet. And so now here they are. They're like, Lord, what is happening? What's going on? We just lost 36 men. They're dead. Lord, you said you'd be with us. You said you'd give us victory. What's happening? And they're crying out to God. So they're in mourning and law. They're in mourning over the loss of life and the confusion of what's going on. So though in this passage their sorrow isn't for sin at first, what I want you to notice is that everything else that takes place after this, all the repentance that comes about, it starts here as they come to God brokenhearted. And all true repentance will start with godly sorrow or it will have godly sorrow to it. And I'm not talking merely about just feeling sad. I'm, I'm talking about something deeper than that. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul talks about godly sorrow in 2 Corinthians 7.10. He says, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. He says, godly sorrow brings repentance. So it's a required element for repentance. And then you notice he mentions worldly sorrow. Now, there are different things that distinguish godly sorrow from worldly sorrow, but I believe one of the things that separates the two is that worldly sorrow is just feeling sorry for the fact that you got caught or just feeling bad about the consequences. Godly sorrow is totally different. Godly sorrow, I believe, is what David felt after he commits adultery with Bathsheba and then murders her husband to cover it up. He writes Psalm 51. This is in the aftermath of all that. The prophet Nathan confronts him and Psalm 51 comes out of it. And this, look at what he says. He says, against you, speaking to God, and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you, Lord, are right in your verdict and you are justified when you judge me. David was brokenhearted and contrite, not just because he got found out. David was brokenhearted because he knew that what he had done was ultimately and finally a sin against God the creator, the almighty. I remember uh, when I was in high school, my friends and I, we loved to uh, ding-dong ditch, ditch people. <laughs> okay, if you don't know what that is, we would literally just ring the doorbell and then we'd ditch, we'd leave. And we thought it was hilarious that people would show up to their front door and nobody's there. <laughs> we got a kick out of it. And so uh, one night, 
me and one of my friends, we, we literally got this one house in my neighborhood like four or five times, just like in one night. We just kept ringing their doorbell and running away. They keep opening the door. <laughs> we thought it was hilarious until the dad comes stomping out of the house, yelling at us. And I tell you what, I, I took off. <laughs> I really ditched after that. I, I turned tail and I ran as fast as I could. I just left my friend in the dust. <laughs> uh, he was either uh, more mature than I or more scared than I, and he just stopped and froze. So I get to the other side of the neighborhood. I'm hiding in somebody's yard, like, <sighs> I don't know what's happening. And uh, after a little bit, my friend shows up, comes out between the houses, and uh, he comes to me and he goes, Nathan, Nathan. I go, what happened? What happened? What'd he say? He called the cops. And I'm like, oh. I, we, we flipped out. We flipped out. So I'm like, and I didn't believe him at first, but he was like, no, he told me he called the cops. They're on their way. So we, we ran as fast as we could back to my house. We didn't, we, we just came in the front door. We didn't say hi to nobody, nothing. We went straight down to the basement and hid and sat there like, oh my gosh. I actually, um, I was getting such a kick out of remembering this story. I texted my friend to make sure I was remembering all the details, right? And I want to read this to you. This is what he said to me. He said, while we were in your basement, I was crying and I was scared that the FBI, the CIA, the DEA, the black ops, army and Navy and everybody was gonna come busting through the doors and windows that night. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love that memory. We were scared out of our minds. But here's my point in sharing it. We were scared and we were sorry because we got caught and because we thought there was gonna be major consequences. Thankfully, the cops never showed up. He was, he was bluffing us, just trying to scare us, get us to stop. But even after that night, we went on ding-dong ditching. <laughs> we were scared that night, but that didn't stop us. I'm telling you what, our career in sabotaging households had only begun. <laughs> you get into high school and you step it up from ding-dong ditching to teepeeing. <laughs> so if you are a middle school or a high schooler listening to this, do not follow my example, all right? I'm telling you, we took giant bags of cereal that big and just all over people's front steps. <laughs> I, we went to our youth pastor one time and I took bags of cheese and I unloaded them in his front lawn in broad daylight. <laughs> this is my repentance, Lord. <laughs> oh. <laughs> my point in all of this, again, is to say, not only were my friend and I really not sorry, again, we were scared that we got caught, we were scared of the potential consequences, but we never changed. We went right on doing what we were doing. And again, this is what distinguishes godly sorrow from worldly sorrow. 
when godly sorrow touches your heart, when the Holy Spirit breaks your heart, you are not sorry just because you got caught or just because of consequences. You weep and you are broken because you know that you've sinned against God. And ultimately, that godly sorrow will produce a change in the way that you live. So godly sorrow, it's born out of that brokenness of knowing that we've sinned against God. And that inner sorrow will produce a change of behavior. That's where repentance all starts. Now, element number two, real quick on this one, I'm calling it agreement. Agreement. Just real short on this point, but I think it's important to mention, Joshua confronts Achan, goes to him, the one who's sent. And I want you to listen to Achan's response. He says, it's true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. And this is what I've done. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver, a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them. I wanted them. And I took them. And they're hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. Now, back in verse 11, you remember what the Lord said to Joshua? He said, Israel has sinned. And right here in verse 20, Achan says, I have sinned. Achan agreed with God about what he had done. And this is what happens in confession. As we disclose things, as we bring our sins and our compromises into the light, we call it what it is. We don't downplay it. We don't hide it. We don't minimize it. We don't blame others for it or excuse it. We speak the truth about what we've done and we agree with God's judgment of the situation. Achan stated truthfully the plain facts of what he did. And he labeled it as God did, sin. And again, I've seen this in myself. I'm often tempted to beat around the bush, kind of downplay what happened, instead of just coming out and saying, this is, this is exactly what I did, Lord, and that's sin. I'm not gonna excuse it. I'm not gonna minimize it. Call it what it is. I'm gonna agree with you. It's like uh, if I were to say, Batman is the best superhero, okay? If I say that, okay, I had somebody agree with me. If I say that, there's some of you in here who don't agree, right? You might say something else. You might say, no, Superman's the best. Spider-Man's the best. Iron Man is the best. Fill in the blank. But if you agree with me, you are going to say the same thing that I say. Batman's the best. So when we agree with God, we are saying the same thing that he says. We're saying what he says about that attitude, that behavior, that situation. We're coming into agreement with him. 
so that exactly what God's perspective is on the situation is our perspective. How God is grieved for it, we are grieved for it. And what God says about that, we say about it. We come into agreement with him. Element number three is obedience. This is the third required element for repentance. And this element should almost go without saying, but it's so emphasized in the scriptures and in this story, we've got to talk about it. So if we look back at Joshua 7, Joshua follows through on what God tells him to do. Joshua obeys God and he deals with the sin in the camp. So again, let's get real clear. Repentance, it's not merely sorrow, though godly sorrow is a part of it. It's not merely confession, though that's a part of it. It's not merely asking for forgiveness, though that's a part of it. (laughs) Genuine repentance will show itself through changed living through obedience. And this is what John the Baptist called for in Matthew 3, 8. He said, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, he says, live in such a way that proves your repentance is true, that it's not fake, that you mean it. Go show by your actions and by your daily living that you've truly repented. So we cannot separate repentance from obedience, an actual change in our behavior. So it's like um, if my parents asked me to mow the lawn. Oh, I hated mowing the lawn. (laughs) That was, when I was a kid, that was some of the worst work for me. I didn't like being out there, getting hot, getting the grass clippings all over me. I thought, man, dad's not so busy. He can do this, can he? Plus, I had better things to do. I had to play video games. I had Lego sets to build. I had friends to hang out with. (laughs) But if my parents asked me to mow the lawn, and I have every intention about mowing the lawn, and then don't mow the lawn, (laughs) well, that was not good news. My parents expected me to do something. They expected the lawn to look cut and nice and pristine. It was not enough for me to have a good intention about mowing the lawn or even a desire to mow the lawn. I had to actually mow the lawn. And so in the same way in the Christian life, Good intentions to please God are not enough. Those, that's good, but it's not enough. The desire to please God is good, and we want the Holy Spirit to increase that in our hearts, but that's not where it stops. God wants us to actually do something, to actually obey him in 100% obedience. The desire, the intention, that's a good starting point, but we must actually, by the help of the Holy Spirit, by the grace of God helping us in our weakness, that we become a people who obey God in our day-to-day life. And that is not legalism. 
And that is not earning something from God. It's simply what the Lord has asked of us. It's what the Lord calls us to do. It's his call on your life and on my life to obey him fully and wholeheartedly. And again, this is why repentance is a gift because it gets you and I back on track with obeying God. Now on this point real quick, I just want to say it's important to address those of you that feel stuck. Some of you right now, you You're stuck in a pattern, a pattern of sin or a pattern of compromise of some kind. Again, first off, know that I'm a weak man saying these things to you. We are weak people before the Lord. We all need his grace to obey and his strength to obey. But for those of you that are here today and you go, man, Nathan, I'm trying to obey God. And it just seems like I keep failing and I don't know what to do. Do not let the enemy right now in this moment heap more condemnation on you. Don't put yourself down. For those of you that are stuck, I want you to hear from Psalm 139 says that the Lord knows how we are formed and he remembers that we are dust. <laughs> that he knows that you and I are weak. And the Lord Jesus is tender to us and he is gracious to us in our weaknesses and in our feeble attempts to try and obey him. When you look at a young child who is struggling to walk, they're learning to walk and they keep falling down. What is your heart towards that child? Is it one of condemnation? Or do you understand they're learning, they're growing, and in time they're gonna walk? This is the Lord's compassion towards us. He does not lower the standard for us. He still calls us to 100% obedience, but he's tender to us in our weaknesses. So I want you to hear that today. There's a huge difference between someone who's stuck in a pattern of sin and they have no godly sorrow over it. They're not doing anything to change it. They're not taking responsibility for it. Totally different attitude and spirit than the person that says, oh God, I wanna obey you, but I just feel so weak. I'm doing everything I know to do to change. That is a yes to God inside of your spirit. That is the spirit, that's the attitude of obedience inside of you. And that yes to God on the inside, even though you're failing right now, is eventually what will help bring the breakthrough that no matter how many times you get knocked down, knocked down, knocked down, you fail, you stumble, you keep getting back up and you keep saying yes to God, you keep setting your heart and going, God, you've called me to obey you, so help me, give me grace, give me strength. And I also wanna say, if that's you today, you've got a yes to God inside of your heart, inside of your spirit, but you're not sure how to get unstuck. It could be indicative of some deeper work that needs done in your heart, deeper work of healing, a deeper work of freedom. That's why we just had Friday and Saturday, our founding pastor held the Setting Captives Free Conference. Some of us have strongholds in our hearts that we need to get free from. Some of us have emotional wounds that need healed. 
And when that gets touched on the inside, we'll have more freedom to obey God and to love him wholeheartedly. So if you're stuck today, again, know that the Lord is gracious to you. He's not lower in the standard, but he's so tender. He wants to help you. And we have plenty of ministries right here at Northwoods. Prayer appointments, get free comes up in the fall every year. We'd encourage you to just make use of some of those things so that the Lord can minister into those places in your heart. Okay, last element. Element number four is trust. In chapter eight, after obeying God, Israel had to trust that now that they dealt with their sin, God would be with them and they'd have the victory. So that's why chapter eight, verse one, look at what it says. The Lord said to Joshua, don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Take the whole army with you. Go up and tack I. For I've delivered it into your hands. I've delivered the king of I, his people, his city, and his land. So the Lord says to them, trust me. You can take the city. I mean, can you imagine what's going through their minds? They're like, I don't want to go up there. I don't want to try that again. What if if we get routed again? They had to trust that because they obeyed God, now he was going to come through for them. And as we walk through repentance, I've found in my own experience and I've found in talking with other believers that it's often hard for us to trust that God has forgiven us that he still loves us and is still with us after we've genuinely confessed and set our heart to walk out repentance. I remember in my younger days, when I was not 28, an old geezer, (laughs) when I was a young kid, I would confess and I would repent the best I knew how. But then I'd stay in self-condemnation, I'd stay in shame, and. Many of you probably know what I'm referring to. I put myself in spiritual time out for like two weeks. Oh, I'm just so terrible. I'm a terrible Christian. God hates me. And, you know, you kind of pull back on everything. You're not as passionate at church and worship. You kind of pull back on your serving. You pull back in your prayer life. You pull back in your Bible reading. And then after a few weeks would pass, I felt like, okay, now I can start making my way back to God. <laughs> but can I, can I ask you today, what was the blood of Jesus shed for? It was shed for our sin. So that when you and I stumble, when we then confess and we set our hearts to obey God, we repent. The blood of Jesus is there so you don't have to go into spiritual timeout so that you and I can run right back to God and say, Father, you love me and I love you. And I was made to be in relationship with you. I'm not gonna take a break from you. We were meant to have more confidence in God's love for us than confidence in our sin to separate us from him. Have more confidence 
in his love for you, in his mercy, his grace, and his forgiveness. This is his promise right here in 1 John 1, 9. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and he'll forgive us our sins. He will purify us from all unrighteousness. You can go right back to God and get on loving him and being loved by him and obeying him. I'm begging you, church, don't wait. When you stumble and fall and you feel your weakness, confess, set your heart to obey God fully. Ask him for help, do whatever you've gotta do. But then hear him say, my child, I love you. You're my beloved and I'm not turning you away, I'm faithful to you. That is what the blood of Jesus was shed for. So feel the Lord's joy and delight in your desire to please him. Even if your desire to please him is barely there, he sees it and it counts for something. So this is what we need, church. We need repentant hearts. Hearts that are touched by godly sorrow. Hearts that agree with God. We need hearts of obedience, of loyalty, and hearts that trust every single day. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And it's his love and his faithfulness that will allow me to make it. So church, could you stand? We're gonna pray. Real quick, here's what's gonna happen. I'm gonna pray. After I pray, you're officially dismissed. Okay, so if you need to go get your kids or whatever you gotta do, you can, you can go do that. But after I pray and we dismiss you, one from our worship team is just gonna stay up here. And we just wanna kinda say, if you feel the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart today and putting his finger on something that you know you need to confess, something you need to repent of, even if it's small, Just five, seven minutes. Take a few moments, either in your seat, down at the altar, come have the prayer team pray with you if you need it. And just do business with the Lord right here today, right now. Why would you put it off? If there's something he's put his finger on, I wanna encourage you to stay and talk with the Lord. Give your heart over to him. And then as well, I wanna to say to some of you, you're, you're maybe here today or you're listening and you've never repented, you've never turned from your sin. And Jesus is calling you today. There's a better way. 
than living life on your own as your own master. God's ways are ways of life. Obeying him, it's the way of life. If you're here today and you've never chosen to follow Jesus, you've never turned from your sin, he is calling you today. And I'd wanna invite you to just boldly come Come down to the altar when our prayer team is here. Have them pray with you. Tell them, I've I've never repented of my sin. I've never chosen to follow Jesus. Just come down to our team. They'll lead you, lead you in a prayer. You can repent of your sin today for the first time and choose to follow Jesus. And you can be forgiven of your sin. Because of what he did, because he died and rose again. And you can know Not only life in this age, but life in the next. And you can know the love that surpasses all other loves. The love of Jesus. So Father, we thank you today that you discipline those you love. God, thank you for the conviction of the Holy Spirit that brings godly sorrow, that brings repentance. Lord, we're asking today all over this place, if this is your desire, I want you to just agree with me in your heart. Lord, that you would show us where are those places in our hearts, little compromises, little sins, God, that you would show us the things that grieve your heart today and that you'd grant us a true and deep and lasting repentance today. Help us, Holy Spirit. Move on our hearts. Speak to our hearts today, we ask. Lord, and make your church a pure church. Make us a pure people who obey you wholeheartedly without reservation. Give us grace, God. Give this time to you here today in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, again, you are dismissed. You're dismissed, but if the Lord's tugging on your heart, you can stay in your seat. You can come down to the altar. Prayer team, again, if you're down here, come down to the front. God bless you guys.
I'm sorry when I've just gone through the motions. I'm sorry when I just sang another song. Take me back to where we started. I open up my heart to you. I'm sorry when I've come with my agenda. I'm sorry when I forgot that you're enough. Take me back to where we started. I open up my heart to you. Caught up in your presence, and I just wanna sit here at your feet. I'm caught up in this holy moment. I never wanna leave. Oh, oh. I here for blessings Jesus you don't owe me anything more than anything that you can do I just want you I just want you I just want you Jesus Nothing else can satisfy by only you God Only you Lord I just want you, nothing else, nothing else, nothing else will do. I just want you, nothing else, no, nothing else, nothing else will do. I just want you, no nothing else, no nothing else, nothing else will do, I just want you, nothing else, no nothing else, nothing else will do. I just want you, nothing else, no nothing else, nothing else will do, I just want you, nothing else, no nothing else, nothing else will do. I just want you, only you, Jesus. 
mind is falling. Yeah, I only want you. I only want you. I only need you, Lord. Satisfied, hey, hey. caught up in your presence. I just want to sit here at your feet, caught up in this holy moment. I just want you. 